0: We are go for Canusa in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and we are away.
1: Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street everybody. We're about to blast off into a fabulous podcast. I'm Scotty Greenwood with Canadian American Business Council and I'm joined by Chris Sands at the Woodrow Wilson Center, my partner in crime. Chris, good to see you, my friend.
0: <laughs> it is good to see you also, Scotty. Glad to be back on Canusa Street and heading for the stars today.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited about our guest. And I'll tell you, it's good timing. It's September 2022 right now. And over the la- there's a lot in the news. But it, over the last couple of weeks, we've been holding our breath with the Artemis launch, the return to the moon. And so uh, it'll be fun to talk about space, space exploration, what Canada is doing with our very distinguished, honored guest. And Chris, let me turn it over to you to introduce Brian properly.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm glad to do it. Uh, Brian Gallant is uh, known to many as the 33rd Premier of New Brunswick, uh, where he kind of hit the scene politically, but he's now the CEO of Space Canada. and Space Canada represents Canada's space innovators and allied industries to convey the value of space technology research, investment and results to both domestic and international audiences and to position Canada in the forefront of the highly strategic new space economy, which is increasingly global. Many people will know that Canada was the third spacefaring country after the U.S. and the old Soviet Union, which, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, and what you might not know is that The space sector in Canada contributes roughly $2.5 billion to Canada's GDP, and that's today a number that is likely growing. Welcome, Premier Gallant, or Brian. Uh, Yeah, thanks
2: so much, Chris. Don't worry about it. I've been called a lot worse than that. Uh, It's it's great to hear and see you both, and I have to say one of the the best parts of this new gig that I'm in, I mean, there's lots of great things, but one of the cool things is to hear everybody's puns. Scotty, Chris, you did a great job in the preambles there. (laughs) Putting out some space puns, which I I love. Everybody sort of they say it, and they're kind of like, oh, I hope it's okay. I did. that. I, I love them, so it's great. So thank you for that. Uh, very happy to be here with you. I look forward to the conversation. Well,
1: well, you know, Chris mentioned we we used to call you Premier Mister Premier, and and uh, and we always said your political career was to infinity and beyond. So there <laughs> there we go. Well, why don't we why don't we start it right off, um, Brian, if we could. Um, what, I mentioned the Artemis launch, and it hasn't happened yet, but um, I know that there, or I think there were some Canadians down in Florida for that, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks that that mission will get going. Is, is Canada playing a role uh, in the Artemis program? And, and what can you tell us, just because that's kind of in the news right now?
2: For sure, I mean it's it's incredibly exciting. You're right. Lots of Canadians were there, including Minister Champagne, the Minister of ISED uh, of the federal government here in Canada, and we're super excited. It's gonna it's gonna happen, and obviously the the idea that there's a bit of a delay can be sort of uh, seen as unfortunate. But but two things. One, I think it demonstrates. The idea that we don't launch, the, the sector doesn't launch unless they feel 100% comfortable, uh, which I actually think a lot of the stakeholders that were there to celebrate the launch, seeing that was probably a good thing. And the second thing I have to say from, from sort of my, my my time in government, when you try to think about the news cycles, the fact that the launch was delayed just kept Artemis in the news cycle. So it just it kept people talking about this wonderful project and I think, I hope, uh, inspiring Ah, uh, people across the globe to to want to be a part of the space sector, support the sector. Um, and Canada will be playing a major role in in future projects with Artemis, but we're certainly there to support on this one. And uh, it, it's exciting. And as mentioned by Chris in the preamble, I mean, Canada gets to be named with with uh, the u s, the, the former Soviet Union, uh, and uh, and you know, China to some extent now. So so we get to be in that category, which, certainly, I think, demonstrates we're punching above our weight when it comes to the space sector. Uh, One of the things that we'll certainly be arguing as as, uh, an association representing the Canadian space sector and ecosystem is uh, we can't sort of rest on our laurels. Uh, We've worked very hard over many decades to to have that position to be on that list with some of the top uh, spacefaring nations. Uh, But there's the new space economy. People are awakening to the economic opportunities that it presents. They're they're seeing that space can really play a role in helping us tackle societal and planetary challenges. So we really have to step up our game. So that's one of the things that we're really excited to do and collaborate with uh, everyone in the ecosystem, including obviously the Canadian government, but people across the globe and, and other stakeholders in different sectors as well.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the the other thing that has kept, has brought space back to the news, to the to the front pages, like it was when at least Chris and I were little kids. Um, it, it, you know, is is the James Webb the new images coming from space very exciting? Over the last couple of couple of months, how do you think that there is a new generation being inspired by what's what's happening? Because uh, I feel like there have been a couple of decades where uh, the engineers were toiling kind of by themselves outside of the public eye, and and it's now. Front and center. Do you well? And we all rely on satellites for so much of our communication, uh, including in Canada, where up in the north, where you kind of really need satellites. So, do you do you think, Brian, that that new generations are starting to think about um, space, space exploration, space, space travel, and 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 also what role is the private sector playing in that, in what used to be kind of a strictly government function? What do you think about all those things?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I agree with everything you said there, lost to unpack. So I, I think it's it's a fascinating time to be in the space sector or to be interested in the space sector, because as you mentioned, it's it's really ever-changing. It's emerging as a commercial industry. The the functions in which we can use space to better our lives here on Earth are, are just fascinating and and significant. The other element to it, we always had this, but now it's really with the James Webb Telescope, as you mentioned, really back at the forefront space can not only help us address the digital divide, um, make sure we're monitoring the variables that we need to be on top of to fight climate change. Uh, It can help countries with sovereignty and security uh, and, and much more. We also, from a very kind of philosophical point of view, are seeing yet again that this the, the the investments and efforts in space can help us figure out who we are, where we come from, how it all sort of started. And, and I think that is, is just absolutely amazing. So it's pretty cool when you think of the sector being that inspirational, that sort of philosophical, and then at the same time being very practical and helping us make sure that we have the best quality of life here uh, on earth and we're addressing some of the, the the big challenges. And on that point, I, I have to say that you, the accessibility of space, the commercialization of space, it really is changing what's happening up there. That comes with some challenges, but for me, I, I see lots of opportunities and I see it being just super fascinating and interesting. So I certainly encourage anybody listening to, to sort of get involved, be supportive or even pursue careers in it. But I have to say that the, the idea that it is ever changing like that means that we have a lot to figure out. And, and again, I think an organization like ours, we hope to lend a voice for the private sector and the ecosystem to work with all the stakeholders, including governments to figure this stuff out. As you mentioned, Scotty, I mean, the, the idea of what governments did 50, 60 years ago when it came to government programming Versus what they can and, and probably need to be doing now has completely changed. Uh, so again, it's exciting. It's 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 obviously something I think with that's ripe with opportunity, but it comes with some some challenges. So we're we're excited about all of that. And then and then the last point I, I, to, to to your overarching uh, question is is I really do think and certainly hope that this is inspired. things like James Webb Telescope is inspiring a new generation to get involved because we definitely need lots of effort. We need lots of energy going into the space sector because it can do so much for us and help advance uh, our understanding of the universe, uh, our understanding of ourselves, our planet, and again, tackle planetary societal challenges while reaping hopefully some economic benefits as well.
0: Uh, That's just fascinating. And I, I guess reflecting back on the sort of dawn of the space age back in the, the late 1960s, what we looked at then were essentially government programs. You had NASA in the United States, the Canadian Space Agency gets created uh, for that. And you sort of had the sense that government was leading the way. What strikes me now, and I, I do follow the, the news in this sector, is just how much activity is on the commercial side. And you talked about the commercialization of space. If I could ask you to talk a little bit about this with the particular Emphasis on what you just said, which is if you're a young person listening to this podcast and you want to get involved, there are many more opportunities and not just at NASA and the CSA. But can you mm-hmm. can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. And, and let me start with an overarching comment to
2: just just enhance uh, my, my sentiment to what you just said. I, I think you're right. And, and what we see is even even the functionality of governments trying to advance the space sector in their countries. Um, it is built on sort of an archaic model, right? Because when, when federal government here in Canada, for example, is asked about space, everybody kind of thinks of the CSA, the Canadian Space Agency, which they clearly play a pivotal role. Um, but defence here in Canada plays a pivotal role. One, one could argue that their budgets are, are sort of mashed and maybe even uh, surpassing the CSA in, in what they do in space. So there are tons of departments that are playing roles, whether it be in investments or policies. And there are departments... That will be able to uh, reap the benefits uh, of the functions that we can do within space. So, so I think I think that's sort of a, a, a clear uh, clear trend that we see around the world, and all governments are trying to figure that out. I I can sympathize with them, right? It, it's 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 changing before our eyes. So I get that it can be hard to sort of keep pace with a large organization adapting. Um, and and yeah, the commercialization of space means that we have, I hope, young people thinking about joining the sector. But before it was always like you know. It, 60 years ago, the idea was like, we just got into space and we just kind of landed that, that, I mean, the huge accomplishment, but now it's going a lot further. And now it's about how can we harness the power of space to have a better understanding of where we come from, who we are, how we can help address challenges that are significant on the planet uh, and and how we can have different functions that improve our everyday lives. And I hope, I hope the next generation sees many opportunities that are a lot different than they were before, because Th- those are real, and we need people to be interested. We need people to be engaging and and pursuing these careers uh, in our countries, but also around the globe, so we can kind of figure this out. And and on that, I have to add it. It's fascinating when you think about the the challenges that are before us. And let's just take one kind of one kind of flashpoint of an indication of how space can play a role. The World Economic Forum came out with their five global risks. Uh, in 2022. And if you looked at the risk, you know, climate change, well, we need space. Uh, The the World Meteorological Organization says over 50% of the variables that we need to monitor to fight climate change will be done through space. Uh, Then the the inequality and within inequality, there was a huge section on the digital divide. As you mentioned earlier, Scotty, we need to have satellites, we need to have the space sector helping us uh, address that and give economic opportunities to to rural, remote, and here in Canada, northern communities, uh, we then had geopolitical tensions. And within that, I mean, there's the idea of monitoring when there are conflicts happening, which we'll do through space. There's cybersecurity, which is very intertwined with space. And then one of the one of the top five risks was space traffic, space debris. Uh, yeah, the first I off. was
1: just going to ask you about that. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah. So so it it just demonstrates to me, uh, and this is when I was starting this new role. I. I I was obviously super, super pumped for for so many reasons, and then I saw this 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 report come out. And one could obviously be a little depressed when they see the challenges, but I kind of put on the flip side and said, "Hey, that means that I'm involved in a sector that can really play a role, and and you know I'll do what I can to play my little role to help those that are trying to figure out these major challenges that were just listed off by this uh, by this organization."
0: Uh, I want to follow up on that because now I feel like I may have short changed the government role here. And I want to make sure we understand that. In the previous administration, the US set up uh, or revived uh, the US Space Council. And I know Britain has one too, and now Canada has a Space Council trying to advise government on what the opportunities are and, and how to coordinate with the technology that's out there a lot of which lowers the cost of some of these projects. You don't have to start from zero. How is the Canadian Space Council working? And, and is there a dialogue that you're aware of between the Space Councils talking among friendly allies about how to work together across international uh, borders?
2: Well, so I, I don't think you shortchange it. And I, and I would argue that the the, the the way to describe it is that the, the overall pie of, of space efforts, investments, and focus is growing before our eyes so the the role that government needs to play uh, is increasing because they have to have more of a focus for this overall pie that's expanding but the percentage of which it is all government is diminishing because we have other players mostly uh, from from uh, from the point of view of the industry coming in to play roles to help us harness the power of space and figure some of this stuff out, so the percentage is changing. But government needs to sort of double. Governments need to double down on their investment and efforts in the space sector. And and there are national space councils that have been created. First off, I think it's an indication that countries like the U.S., uh, the U.K., um, the the European Union, and and France, and uh, all all of these uh, very uh, significant players in the space sector see that there's emerging opportunities, there's emerging challenges as well, and they really want to coordinate their efforts. That is one of our biggest advocacy points as as an organization. Space Canada would like to see the government of Canada create a National Space Council akin to what we see in the UK and what we see in the US. The idea is that we're very cognizant and, and, and sympathetic to the idea that, again, decades ago, how governments played a role and to what percentage they played a role in the space sector is very different than what it is today. So it, it, it is hard for them to be able to adjust as a large organization, and we get that. And, and I and I, I see lots of people that are trying very hard in the federal government to kind of figure it out with the framework that they have right now. But we believe a National Space Council will help bring all the departments that have a role to play with the space sector in our country, like we've seen in other countries, uh, together, and coordinate their efforts, have a more holistic approach And policy approach to uh, to the uh, space sector, and hopefully that way as well, the functions that the commercial sector can bring in to governments can be a little easier to be coordinated through a national space council. And if I, you know, secondly, if I'm to be honest, I think just the idea of creating a national space council sends a signal. It sends a signal. It's a priority for the government. They they see that it's an emerging sector that they want to seize opportunities within. So I I also think it sends a signal to those that are in the industry already. And also it'll help encourage, I think, others to get involved because people are seeing that it's a priority for their government. I
0: was just going Go to ahead, correct Chris. myself. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I had thought that Canada had already created this Space Council along the lines of its allies. So I'm glad I'm glad to know you're advocating for it because I think it's a great idea. Sorry about that. Over to you, Scotty.
1: Yeah, no problem. Well, and it's it's clear why when you're trying to get governments to do something, it makes sense for um, people like Brian and also Bill Nelson, who's a former congressman who's now the NASA administrator. You know, you. Building those public-private partnerships are the way we solve big problems in our in our world and in the universe today. And you know we're going to take a little break for for just a just a few seconds. And when we come back, I, I want to get more into the darker side, the the threats. You mentioned them, Brian. But let's when we come back, let's talk a moment about um, some of some of the more challenging aspects of what's happening in space. Are you red, white, and blue, or just red and white? Beaver or bald eagle? Ryan Reynolds or JLo? Canusa Street, a masterclass in cross-border relations. This is where Canada and the United States intersect on the policies and issues of our two great nations. But you know that already, that's why you're here. The question is, if you want more of this bilateral bonanza delivered directly to your inbox, and you know you do, how about signing up for Scotty Greenwood's weekly email updates on Canada-US relations? Head to cabc.co to sign up today. And now back to Canusa Street. All right, so we're back. And uh, I want to ask you, Brian, you know, you mentioned space debris, and we went by it really quickly. Space debris is i mean debris is never anything good and and we've worried about plastic in the oceans you know for a long time and we worry about all kinds of pollution but in space a little t- as i understand it a little particle you know a little like a little pebble almost if it if it's flying through space really fast and it hits a satellite as an example in the wrong spot it could it could disable it it could we could go dark um at any moment and there isn't I don't think a, a a really comprehensive way to clean up space debris, and so it's a it's a building risk. And as as countries, you know, uh, as satellites blow up and different things happen, or they get hit by you know um, asteroids and whatever, there, there are all kinds of things happening. So maybe could we talk a little bit more? I Want to talk about space debris as an accidental occurrence, and then I want to talk about. Um, you know, warfront, war in space, and cyber cyber attacks and things like that. So, can you unpack those things for us a little bit, Brian?
2: Yes, for sure. So, so first off, uh, repeating ourselves from the first segment, but the World Economic Forum has listed space debris and traffic as as a one of the top five global risks for twenty twenty two. So, it, it's obviously real and something we have to think about. And and to those listening that are trying to wrap their heads around this, I mean, it's it's sort of the idea that we we just invented the airplane or we just invented the car and we have no sort of rules of of for traffic we have no rules, uh, in, in or not enough rules in place uh, as well to be able to sort of clean up anything that may be out there. And to your point, Scotty, there's not a very comprehensive way to do it. Some some are exploring how to be able to sort of clean clean up sort of uh, debris from satellites and things of that nature. And and Northstar Earth and Space, which is a founding member of Space Canada, is playing a role in trying to help. Uh, Countries be able to monitor this uh, for for all the reasons we just described, and the idea is that if we don't figure this out pretty quickly, we're going to have some challenges from economic challenges, but also it may thwart our ability to be able to explore in the future. So, so from an economic point of view, you you pointed it out. I mean, first off, the very direct impact of having a satellite wiped out. Uh, costs lots of money. I mean, satellites putting putting them up and the effort that goes into it costs a lot of money. And then there's what that satellite was doing uh, and having that sort of knocked out of service and, and and then having an impact here on earth to whatever function the satellite was providing. Um, and then obviously there's the idea that we wanna continue to be able to go and explore, especially with the accessibility of space uh, sort of opening up over the last uh, few years. So protecting that for future generations and for humankind is, is very important as well. And, and it's one of those things, I mean, I've, I've thought about it. I try to wrap my head around uh, th- these types of you know large and important conversations. And and I think we've seen this before. I mean, humankind invents something super powerful and then it goes for a little while and all of a sudden they start to see, well, there's some unintended consequences that maybe aren't that positive. And, and then we come yeah. in and we try to figure it out after, right? We put in more regulations and we try to put in frameworks to, to protect ourselves. So I guess the, the reason I say it that way is I just hope we'll step up in a a pretty aggressive way now and not wait to have example after example of why we need to do something like this, because it may, it may cause us more problems, or it may even be too late.
1: Well, and Brian, before you, before you move forward to the next part of it, uh, I, you know, you and I saw each other, I think, a couple of years ago at the Halifax International Security Forum. We 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 bump into each other in Eastern Canada from time to time, and I remember uh, a really interesting discussion several years ago there about space debris. And one of the one of the uh, things that I learned was in the current situation the only entity that is able to clean up debris it like it like if if you have an american satellite that you know blows apart for some reason it has to be an american cleanup effort so it, even if if i was a nonprofit and i wanted to go rake space somehow and and clean up all of these these things that are flying around um i couldn't do it it has to be the the country um that sent it up there in some countries to your point it's expensive and it's hard don't have the 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 ability to track it let alone to pick it up is that still the case or has that changed since since the last few years do you know
2: it, it's definitely still the case that it's an immense challenge but there are countries that have developed uh, that are developing technology to be able to go and for example grab a satellite and sort of uh, you know be able to to move it so so it, it's on top of, of mind for people. But but let's segue into the other part of your question sure, just a while yeah. ago, right? I mean one could argue some countries that are trying to develop that might be very helpful for space debris and space traffic, but it might also be for other reasons. It might be a demonstration of, hey, we can go up into space and grab your satellite. That you depend on from an economic point of view, or whatever it might be. So, yeah. so there is there is sort of this other element to it that that the function could be used maybe for something as you use to, to to paraphrase you something maybe a little darker. So, so certainly something that that is being developed, and and we as as a global uh, community need to think about this and put in the right frameworks to be able to uh, put in rules that we're going to have space traffic under control. We're going to have ways to be able to help the space debris, making sure that obviously we limit the space debris in general. And then obviously monitoring what this means from sort of a militarization of space and and from using uh, space uh, perhaps for, for other sort of a darker uh, functions, as you mentioned.
0: Fascinating. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit too about Distribution of space. Canada is such a big country, and I know there are companies like MDA that started out in Vancouver, and now there's talk about a spaceport Nova Scotia, which is uh, very exciting. Um, can you tell me a little bit about when the space industry grows? Is it a Eastern Canada thing, a Central Canada thing, a Western? I, I know this sounds very parochial, but I, I kind of I know Houston, I know Florida, I know Cape Canaveral, all those things. But what's the geography or distribution of space? in Canada, if that makes any sense.
2: For, for sure. So, I mean, you, you have a very um, significant uh, piece of activity in the space sector happening in sort of the the, the places that people from outside the country would guess, in, in Ottawa, in Montreal, uh, in, in Vancouver, Toronto. But, but I can tell you that there are people doing fascinating things, important work in the space sector across the country, uh, in all provinces. And in fact, we have Members and we have associates that are representing all regions of the country and doing, I think, uh, things that need to be happening for for the space sector and also for the for the country and globe. So it really is one of these uh, types of sectors now that can be done anywhere. And and really, there are opportunities all over the place uh, for people to step up and be a part of this. Whereas, you know, again, kind of kind of repeating ourselves, but decades ago, that that wasn't necessarily the case. On top of that, as you mentioned, uh, Maritime Launch Services out of Nova Scotia is looking to build launch uh, launch capabilities for the commercial sector. I mean, you mentioned this, Chris, in your preamble, the Canadian space sector is is significant, it's impressive, contributes $2.5 to the country's economy yearly, but it's it's missing domestic commercial space launch capabilities. So Maritime Launch Services, which you mentioned, is, is, is going to provide a commercial launch option in Canada, and this will help the sector become truly end to end with its capabilities, uh, which will help us seize economic opportunities that the sector represents in the country. But but from a geopolitical point of view as well, to sort of, again, segue to what we were talking about a while ago or to bring in what we were talking a while ago, um, yeah, the demand for commercial launch services is growing, but uh, here in Canada and globally. But on top of that, given that space is a strategic sector that protects our security and sovereignty there's a need for canada and its allies to enhance launch capabilities uh and and i think we we saw that unfortunately over the last few months with with the uh invasion of ukraine as to why we need to be able to have a diversified uh a suite of options when it comes to launch uh and again you know sidetrack uh, a little bit but we also saw why space can be important to to be able to track what was absolutely. happening absolutely uh, now for satellite I, you know
0: i can't help. When I think of Canada in space, I think of the Canadarm, nicely branded and on the old space shuttle program, and I think still in use. But I guess I was wondering if you might be willing to brag on uh, Canada a little bit. Are there areas where Canada is a world leader in, in space technology, some areas where people will want in the united states and elsewhere to come to canada because you've got something going on whether it's robotics or whatever else kid tell me a little bit about where where canada's got a particular strength here
2: well let me start off with with canada and mda here here in canada played immense role in in you know obviously one of i think humankind's major accomplishments and canadians will sort of jokingly say and you know sometimes there's some a grain of truth of, of, of a joke, uh, that through the Canada Arm, we built the, the International Space Station, right? So so we're very proud and Canadians are very proud of, of Canada Arm and, and, and they definitely should be. Um, Chris, I, I'll say though that I truly believe that for a country to do well in the space sector, you actually do need a holistic industry. You you need end-to-end capabilities. So, for example, although we have so much to brag about, in Canada, in what we have done over several decades in space, uh, we don't have commercial launch capabilities. So, so one could say, oh, well, let's not focus on that. But we do need that, and, and again, we need it for commercial purposes, for sovereignty and security as well. So, maritime launch services—that that's super important. Even if we're not sort of seen as world leaders in that space right now, we still need that to be able to be. Uh, we think uh, the the uh, the um, impressive space sector that we can become and and continue to be. The uh, space exploration, we have uh, Earth Observation, um, GHGSat, which is another founding member of uh, Space Canada, does Im- Im- important and pivotal work in monitoring methane emissions, uh, something that we think obviously is going to be crucial for, for uh, the global efforts to fight climate Absolutely. change. Yeah, we have Telesat that does wonderful work in bringing, uh, bringing uh, connectivity to rural, remote and northern communities. Uh, w- so we really do have, I think, an eclectic industry uh which which you know obviously very biasly i would encourage anybody listening interested in starting something up to come to canada uh and i'll add the last part chris uh these you know the ceo of space canada is doing it from Shidag bridge in brunswick in his basement so i (laughs) nice we we have an office in ottawa joking aside but but obviously uh with the new virtual world i do a lot of work from uh from here so it really is an industry that you find in all regions and uh and and that's that's i think important as well
1: well, what one last thought about this, um, as as we uh, come come to a close, I just have the the other thing that strikes me listening to you, Brian, is, is I think I think the world can trust Canadian values in developing responsibly. And one of those big values, and the thing you talk about end to end capability, um, the thing that occurs to me is recycling. You know, it used to be in the old days we would build these multi hundred million dollar um projects and they would be for one-time use and what what commercialization is doing and what what we know from blue origin and others is you can recycle these things now and and not only that but the critical minerals and the rare earths and everything that go into uh, building these very sophisticated uh vehicles and and equipment is something that um if anybody can figure it out I, i think canada could figure out how to recycle Um, and I wonder if that, if anybody's working on that, or if that's part of when you think about end to end, do you also think about uh, recycling in a whole new way?
2: This is definitely becoming the theme, not on purpose, the theme of my, of my interventions here, but again, 60 years ago, it's like, Hey, let's just do this. Like, let's just do this the one time if we can and get up there and see, see what happens. So there wasn't much thought being put into how do we make these things reusable? How do we sort of, uh, make it that it's a bit more sustainable? So that's definitely a huge part. Of the, of the efforts moving forward uh, to be able to continue to do what we're doing uh, with all the functions, right? We need to be able to demonstrate that. Uh, there's a role to play for us and, and others that care about the sector to communicate to Canadians and people in their countries that space impacts our everyday lives. And it can help us attack some of the challenges, combat challenges that worry you and keep you up at night. And and we need to do it in a as responsible way as possible, from space traffic to to ensuring that we're recycling uh, the the material as much as possible and and sort of the efforts as much as possible. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to communicate as well. We're doing cool things. We we are trying to. Sort of advance humankind and, and our knowledge of uh, of uh, what's around us and our and our own planet and existence. Uh, so hopefully that also inspires and inspires and people to get involved. It's one of those things that I love, right? Because it's it's so practical. It's it has such a, a clear impact on our lives, and then at the same time, it's so kind of macro and philosophical. So it's a it's a pretty cool sector when you think about it. Not a lot could be able to say that they have sort of both those uh, the way that the space sector does.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I can't decide, Chris, whether we cue Ground Control to Major Tom or we or we cue Elton John Rocketman. But uh, either way, what a what a delightful conversation. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. It's it's an exciting time um, for Earth and for the universe. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you so much for providing me the space to talk about this pun very much. (laughs) We're
0: over the moon. We're over the moon.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, what what an interesting conversation. And and I'm glad we ended when we did, Chris, because the space puns were getting pretty thick there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I am definitely guilty of that. But uh, but it's funny. I think it's a way in which space just sort of inspires us. And uh, you and I saw the first person land on the moon, um, the Artemis Project, talking about making it not just the first man on the moon, but maybe bringing a, a woman to the moon. And there are so many challenges that inspire. I think uh, it's, it's, it's really great for Canusa Street to have that sort of window on the future. And, you know, look up and see what's going on in, in space and to think that Canada-U.S. relations have a place in that and our partnership has a place, uh, you know, above near-Earth orbit. That's an exciting thing.
1: Well, yeah, and you think about, you know, one of the things that it it occurs to me is maybe we should do an episode on NORAD, um, which is the, uh, help me out here, the North American, what, is it, what are the letters, N-O-R-A-D, in Re- nor
0: is for north american and then that it's aerospace, aerospace defense. defense yeah there we go yeah
1: so it's the only joint military command truly joint that the u.s has with another country and it's canada and it looks at the aerospace it doesn't just track santa claus at christmas um <laughs> but it also looks at you know it tracks these um objects flying around in space uh to make sure they don't come and get earth and make sure they don't take out our key satellites so Uh, And NORAD is a uniquely Canadian-American creation uh, that is being renewed, uh, actually. So I think we should talk about that in a future episode. But, you know, um, the other thing, Chris, is I really do—we started this at the beginning, but I really do think— There were generations that came up in the 1960s, 70s, and maybe a a little bit in the 80s that were very excited about space. And then in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, people were excited about other things. And I will tell you, my daughter Olivia and I, um, a couple of summers ago, went to the National Mall in Washington. It was the 50th anniversary of Apollo, of the Apollo launch. And we and thousands of others, you know, got out our blankets, sat on the mall, and the Washington Monument um, was illuminated like the Apollo launching. And I don't know if you were there, if you and Victoria were there, but it was a cool yeah, day. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we wasn't did. that neat?
0: Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I have to say that's one of the things that um, once you start scratching the surface or begin thinking about space, you realize that it's all around us in a way that it wasn't when we were young. You mentioned NORAD modernization. NORAD once relied on on fighter jets and ground stations, the famous distant early warning or dew line and even a pine tree line. Part of modernization, though, is is an upgrade to satellites. And Canada has a series of annex satellites that are great for geopositioning, but also figuring out what's going on in the Arctic. People don't think about it, but the North Pole has a magnetic signature, which gives us the uh, Aurora Borealis sometimes, but also can distort scanning from further south or from other satellites. So Canada's contribution here is not only vital, but it is uh, extraterrestrial.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the reason I mentioned, you know, us getting together to watch 50th anniversary of the Apollo launch is again, my daughter Olivia wouldn't have been necessarily that inspired by space because it's not part of the vernacular of her generation, but hopefully that's changing. Um with all these exciting things with Artemis, with the images we're seeing now coming back from this incredible uh telescope uh, the James Webb. And if you, if you go online, you know, you can follow all of these different sites, space.com, you can follow NASA, you can follow, uh, different Canadian sites, uh, just on your Instagram feed or whatever, Twitter, whatever social media you like. And you'll, you, you get served up on a regular basis, mind blowing, uh, insights into alien worlds. It's not just, you know, kind of like the stuff of movies anymore. It's really happening. And it's pretty, it's pretty neat to see that.
0: Well, I remember Chris Hadfield, uh, Canada's singing astronaut with his guitar and uh, sort of sharing things from space. I think he's done more to inspire a generation of young Canadians than almost anyone else uh, to think about space. I also think a little bit about some of the drier conferences I go to on things like workforce development. And underlying that is this push for STEM education, for science, technology, engineering, and math. And... That I think is a great thing for parents to think about, but to get kids excited, how do you apply STEM learning and what kind of jobs does it prepare you for? Well, space is one of those things that requires really, uh, bright young people with those kinds of skills and so hopefully this will make a connection between the curriculum side and we're trying to get our kids smart uh, for the future and the potential career and exciting contribution to mankind humankind that they can get by uh, studying hard now.
1: That's exactly right. And, you know, maybe someday we get to meet E.T.
0: Oh, that would be very good. And I
1: will share my Reese's pieces if we do, so.
0: (laughs) I'll have my heart Uh, light turned on.
1: (laughs) Great to see you as always, Chris. Thank you.
0: Great to see you, Scotty.
2: This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.